Let's just pray together that uh, those last few lines there. Father, turn to us. Have mercy on us. Show us your strength. Save us. Give us a sign of your goodness. For you, Lord, have helped us and comforted us. And so do that today, Lord. Show yourself real. Uh, Illuminate your word to us. Give us strength today. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you might know this. I spent the 90s uh, working with street kids. I spent uh, a number of years uh, working as the pastor of Church on the Street, which is, a, which is a street designed for street youth, actually the street youth that are becoming to know Jesus Christ as Lord through the ministry of Evergreen Drop-In Center on Young Street, just south of Girard. And so I spent a number of years there, both as the pastor of that church and also as the director of Evergreen, of the drop-in there. So what that meant was that uh, we had services every Sunday night because Sunday morning was just unworkable for most kids on the street, probably for most people on the street. So we did Sunday night service, and if, if you've ever been there before, uh, you know that the back or the front, front of the building faces right onto Young Street. But really, when we were doing church there, we, the front of the, the service was, was at the back. You know, so, so you looked, as you walked in, you looked at the front of, of the building. And so at the front of the, the church service where the stage and the, and the podiums were. And so you could look back as you were standing at the front and, and see traffic on Young Street. Because we had glass doors all the way across the front. And when I started there, uh, my son was only uh, two and a half, almost three years old. And he would come <clears throat> with me on Sunday nights because my wife was actually a music director. And so she had Sunday night service in those days. And I uh, had to prepare that. And so he would come with me and spend the afternoon there. And I would drop him off uh, back at Stone Church where, where my wife was working. And so the, one of the first times he came down, he was... Uh, as we were preparing at the front, he was running back and forth, and he would, uh, he's, again, he's only two and a half, three years old, check in, you know, grab my leg, look up, make sure I was there, run, run to the back where the, he could see Young Street, and then come running back to me again. And he did this the whole time that was there, and I didn't find this out till later, but when he went home that night, um, and my wife was putting him to bed, he said, uh, Mommy, he said, there was this, this man at the street church, he said, and he had hair, and it went straight up and down, right here in the middle. He says, and it was all kind of straight. It was like this. And he says, and it was bright orange. He says, Mommy, how does that man sleep at night? <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the evenings that we were there, I was pre- preaching, and I thought I was doing really good. I was preaching on, on the love of God and how much God loved us and that... Uh, I don't remember my text. I don't particularly remember my sermon. Probably nobody else does either. But there was an event there that just kind of sears itself into my mind. We were, I was speaking, and one of the young uh, men, native men, that I've been working with had a relationship with over the years. Uh, he was, uh, his name was actually Steve Martin. He was one of the origi- originally original wild and crazy guys. He really was. Uh, he was part of the native school system, had uh, 
been gone to foster parents and had run away to the streets. And I'd uh, spent a little bit of time with him over the years. And so he's at the back, and he knows who I am. And he'd uh, been drinking a little bit that night. But he says, he yells out in the middle of my message, he says to me, Mike, prove to me that God loves me. And I don't know if you've ever had anybody interrupt your sermon, but for me it was like, uh, you know, the room kind of closes in on you, all the air is sucked out, and I didn't know what to say. But the desperation of that cry from that street youth struck me to the core. I didn't know how to respond to him. And my response to that is a whole nother sermon. I just want to focus on Steve for a minute. You could hear the desperation in his voice. You could hear that he wanted to know love. He wanted to know that God was real. And he wanted to feel it. He wanted more. Maybe his courage was, you know, souped up by what he drank that night. But that longing, that desperation was real. I think desperation gets a bad rap in our society. We're supposed to be cool, calm, and collected, and in control. And someone who's desperate has lost all of these qualities. People who are desperate are rude, frantic, reckless. Desperate people are sometimes explosive, focused, uncompromising in their desire to get what they want. Someone who's desperate will crash through the veil of our nice Canadian niceness. Without desperation, though, we have no sense of urgency, no compelling desire to grow or to change, no commitment to step outside of our comfort zones, our habit patterns. We become lukewarm, and our spiritual path is half-hearted. The psalmist David cries out to God, as we heard in Psalm 86, and actually in some of the other psalms. This is not an, a unique psalm in the sense of God, uh, of the, the psalmists crying out to God, reaching out, being desperate. But you can hear it. You can hear his desperation. Just some of the words that come out, he says, hear me, answer me, I'm poor and needy. Guard my life, save your servant. I call to you all day long. Have mercy on me. Restore joy to your servant. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. I'm in distress. I call to you. Teach me, turn to me, have mercy on me. Show me your strength. Save me. Give me a sign. We see some characteristics of this desperate prayer coming out in David. I think the first one is just his raw honesty. Just like Steve uh, was just raw in his honesty to me, and he's been that in other situations in my life too. David recognized his need, his helplessness, and his poverty. David confessed his bankruptcy right up front. He says, I'm needy, help. You know, and that the, the theme, I've read some of them, but just this theme, theme run, running through it says, you know, hear me, answer me. I'm poor and needy. Guard my life, save your servant. 
have mercy on me. I'm in distress. I call to you. Turn to me. Have mercy on me. Show strength. Save me. And again, give me a sign. Give me something that I can hold on to. You know, we come to God as beggars. We have nothing to trade. And actually, every time I do communion, I I bring this out. Communion is this covenant, this agreement that God has made with us, where he gives us his stuff, and he takes our stuff. It's an unfair trade, but we really have nothing to trade. It's this unfair covenant, unfair agreement, but God does it over and over and over again. And David just kind of recognizes this bankruptcy that he has. I have nothing to give you. The second thing that he did is is he cried out, this earnest crying out to God to be answered. You know, sometimes we have our half-hearted mumble of reply, but really God's saying, uh, David is saying to God, listen to me, listen to me. I'm calling out to you, listen to me. Please listen to me. And this, this real sense of longing, of desperation, you know, we see that again all over through, through and through scripture, this calling out this, and there are different ways of doing it, but this, this word that he uses there, this kara, this, this word in the Hebrew, really means to make a sound. It's not this cry of the heart, it's this longing that he has that expresses itself with sound. I think we all do it sometimes. We just, sometimes it's just a sigh. Sometimes, for me, it's, just, it's this sigh that goes like this. You know, really kind of expressing my frustration. I'm, in those moments, I'm not quite sure what to do next. We have that in Scripture in the New Testament. I want to refer to uh, the, woman at, uh, sorry, the woman with the hemorrhage of blood who came up to Jesus. You know, and the story says it this way. She says, a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage in Matthew chapter nine, for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak for she was saying to herself, this kind of, look at the crowd. Can I get through? I've suffered for so long. I'm so desperate, this quiet sigh. Why don't you try it? You know what, it's actually hard to breathe out right now. Just do that, breathe out. Some of you had to breathe in first because we have so little breath in our lungs sometimes. But do it again, just just sigh. I wanna hear it. Just sigh. You know, this longing sigh that this woman has as she pushes through the crowd and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. We have this, this real sense that sometimes it's just, that's all, we can, that's all we can do. It's all we can get out. But God hears it. The second story is this, uh, the story, which is one of my favorites too in, in New, the New Testament, of the Pharisee and the publican. You know, where the, the Pharisee comes up and says, look at me. Look what I've got. You know, I'm coming in, I'm, look at the tithe I'm given. You know, and thank God I'm not like that guy over there. 
But Jesus praises that guy over there because he puts his head down. And it's almost like a groan where he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He goes, ah. You know, this groaning that's uh, too deep for words, this longing. So I want you to do that too. Go, ah. That's good. A little louder. Do it one more time. Ah. You know, I do that too sometimes. I'm at this place. I used to do it when my kids were little. I go, ah. Because they, you know, they, they have the way. They, they know the perfect way of getting under your skin. So sometimes it's just a groan, and the groan is, you know, it's, Paul refers to it as, as this groaning, you know, that even as the world is groaning to reveal the, the you know, the sons of God kind of thing, this, this groaning of creation even that's happening. But I think the best story of calling out, you know, besides the psalm that we've read today, maybe you can think of it, it's Bartimaeus, right? When they came to Jericho in Mark 10, he was leaving, Jesus was leaving Jericho with the disciples and a large crowd was, was there and a blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting by the road. And when he heard it was Jesus, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody else, shh, shh, you know, don't do that. That's not the right thing to do. Don't you know who this is? And actually, Bartimaeus knew exactly who it was. And he cried all the more, saying, you know, Jesus, son of God, son of David, have mercy on me. And so we cry, he cried out to that. And so, I think it's up there. Can we flip through to that? It's actually on there for you. Jesus, son of David, cry, have mercy on me. Maybe it's not working, but we can do this anyways. Say, Jesus. No, no, that's not a cry. That's not a cry. Say, Jesus. Jesus. Son of David. David. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. me. This cry of, of Bartimaeus, you know, that cries out from the depths of his soul. Have mercy. Have mercy on me. So this whole call that David has there that just says, cry out, make a sound. I call to you, hear my prayer. Have mercy, have mercy on me. We also have this sense that David is, is longing because he knows who God is. Right? We have this picture of, of David really recognizing the characteristics of God. And we see that happen as well as we go through not just the desperation, not just the calling out, but we see this sense of, of David speaking clearly to, to about who God is. Right, so we have this, this uh, phrases over and over again where we see what David's say, saying. He says, you are my God. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all. You answer me. I'm just going through and picking out the verses that he's, he's saying this. He says, among the gods there is none like you. No deeds can p- compare with yours. All the nations have, you've made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring you glory 
Glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So I've just picked out the phrases in, in that psalm where David is praising God, honoring God, declaring who God is, declaring that God is sufficient for the cry that's in his heart. And we see this response, we see the movement through the, throughout the psalm where, where David begins by saying, you know, listen, listen to me. God, hear me, I'm calling out to you, I'm in distress. Right? And then he moves towards this kind of, okay, God is responding to me. I will praise you, Lord, I will glorify your name. Teach me your ways. Enlarge my heart. You know, give me a larger heart. Give me a heart that will understand this. You know, he has this movement from, from this desperate, desperate cry, this desperation that he has, to this point of saying, I know who you are. I praise you. Teach me. Grow in me. And it's interesting, this is the, the fourth thing that happens, is that Often we come from this place of desperation. We come this place of, of recognizing who God is. Just interacting with God, receiving from God, letting God minister to us, teaching us, growing us, uh, creating this space in our hearts for what he wants to do. But then it's interesting in verse 14, this, this thing happens again to David. He says, arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. And he goes back into this desperate cry again. And he ends the psalm with, turn to me. Have mercy on me. Show your strength again. Save me. Show me a sign. Give me a sign. And so I think all of us go through that cycle. We come with this desperation, sometimes just a sigh. Sometimes a groan. Sometimes a cry. And God responds because he is a good God. But then another situation comes and we go through the whole thing again. I just want to end with a, a story. Again, uh, one of the youth that I was working with uh, found his way to a shelter, actually second base, which is at Kennedy and Eglinton. And I went to visit, actually, just to see what they were doing, just to connect with the, the director there and to, to share some some best practices and you know, how we could cooperate together. And I saw one of the youth that I knew there and he was, you know, he was just came, came running up to me and said, hi, how are you doing? And it, when he left, the, the director said to me, you know, he's, he's an interesting case. We see this over and over again. This youth came in right off the street and started in our shelter. He says, the first day he would come in, come down to breakfast, big breakfast, he says, and, and so there were some other things there. So what he would do is he would eat probably for 10 people. She said, I was amazed at how much he could put down. He says, and then he would collect all the, the extra stuff that he could carry with him. Apples and buns and, and, and things, pieces of cake, every, everything. Just kind of stick it in this pouch or a bag if he had it or even in his pockets and bring it back up to his room. Lunch would come along, he would do the same thing. He would come down, he would gorge himself, 
And whatever he could carry with him, he took back to his room. Supper again, snack time again. I mean, they were well fed there. And each time he would grab something and take it with him. She said it took about three weeks to get him used to the fact that there was a meal three times a day and a snack that was coming just before bedtime. It took him three weeks to get used to not grabbing stuff and taking it with him and bringing it back to the room. And so he began to kind of settle into this sense of there's provision there. It's interesting, that's kind of what happens to us when we encounter God. When we're desperate, we grab onto everything that we can. When we're first Christians, sometimes it's like, I just want to suck it in. I want, I'm a vacuum cleaner. I want as much as I can. When we see something new, sometimes our first week in seminary or, or Bible college or school is like that, right? It's like, wow, this is amazing. Then we get to the point where we're just about full, <laughs> And then you know what happens? Same thing that happened to David. We go through this cycle again where something new happens. And that's where Steve was, to come back to the very beginning again. That Steve had gone through that process. He had been in shelters. He'd, he'd seen some stability in his life. He'd actually had a department at that time. And he was starting to stabilize his life. But there was a new thing that he was desperate for. Not just the survival piece, but the next thing that God was working in his life. So the challenge for you as, as we go from here is to say, what's the next thing that you're desperate for? Where else is desperation happening in your life? That God, this desperation is, isn't just a, a once in a while thing. I think it's a lifelong pursuit, this being hungry and longing for God. And as we finish off today, I, I want to finish off with just kind of the doxology doxology that David kind of gives to us in that song. So let's stand together. This will be a, both a, a blessing and a closing prayer where David says this. He says, you are my God. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all. You answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and you do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. For great is your love toward me. You've delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. For you, Lord, have helped me and have comforted me. Lord, we thank you for that now. We thank you that you are a good and gracious God. We call out to you, we cry out to you today to meet us exactly where we are and to walk with us today to show us your mercy and your grace. Today, Lord, give us a sign. Give us something real to hold on to as we go from this day to the next. And Lord, as we do it, we will respond with praise and glory to your name. Amen.